Thank you, Colleen. That was fantastic. Just way to save the Casey twist until the end, too. That was awesome. Oh, sorry. Um, we're going to be doing fun dating stories like that. All tangled up. There we go. We're going to be doing fun dating stories like that and other fun things all throughout the month. So that's exciting to me. Um, and hopefully you'll uh, get to know some funny and weird things about your leaders along the way as well. Um, tonight, kind of what I wanted to do is I wanted to set this up because I know that um, I know that maybe if you are not an upperclassman in high school, the idea of dating might feel like it's not really a part of your life. Uh, the idea of romance might feel like very far off or uninteresting to you. Um, and that's okay if it does. It doesn't mean that this isn't a series that applies to you. And here's maybe how I want to prove it. And here's what I'm going to ask up front. Okay, can you dial into this real quick? Here's what I'm going to ask up front. Um, could you just do your very best to be as mature as you possibly could be as we talk about some different topics um, that you don't talk about all the time? And the reason why we're talking about them is because we don't talk about them all the time, but it's, it's like serious, it's real, it's happening in your life when it's happening around you. And here's how I want to prove it to you. Um, will you raise your hand for me if you know uh, of a song that talks about romance, love, dating, relationships, or anything of the sort? So you raise your hand if you know a song that does that? Okay, so we're in agreement upon that. Um, hands down, hands down. Will you raise your hand if you know uh, a movie that deals with any of those topics? Will you raise your hand if you know of a TV show that deals with any of those topics? Um, Follow-up question. Will you raise your hand if you know anyone who is dating or are dating yourself? Oh. Well, either you know someone who is or you are yourself. Uh, will you raise your hand if you know anyone who is married? Do you know anyone who's married? Oh, yeah. You've got parents. So, um, so it turns out, you know me too. I'm married. So it turns out, relationships are all around us, right? So relationships are all around you. Relationships are all around me. And here's really what I, what I truly, very firmly believe want you to know up front, I really, really think, I think that relationships, specifically romantic relationships, have so much power and beauty in them to be such good, awesome, and wholesome things. I think that, uh, I don't just think this, I know this, that God has designed them. They're not an abnormality. They're not something that he's tried to withhold from you. And they're not something that he doesn't want for you. He wants romance. He wants great marriages in your future. He wants good dating experiences in your life. Like those things are not distant from what the heart of the Father wants for you, okay? So so just know that up front. Like I really think that there's a lot of power, a lot of beauty in romantic relationships. And I think because they are designed to have so much power and so much beauty in them, they are so easily and naturally perverted by the devil. There are so many ways that dating, that friendships, that romance, that liking, that flirting, that crushes go wrong. There is an infinite amount of ways, and you know it because it's either happened to you, it's happened to a friend, 
or, uh, or you've seen it in a movie, or you've heard a song about it, or whatever it is. There are so many ways for things like that to go wrong, and I really truthfully believe that it is because one of, it's one of the most powerful things that God's designed, so very intentionally, the devil would also try to pervert it as powerfully as possible. Because anything that has immense power for good would also naturally have immense power for evil, right? Okay. So here's what I want to do is um, tonight, I just kind of want to set the stage for what we're going to be talking about this week. I want to inform the conversation because uh, what we're going to do for the rest of this month uh, isn't going to be as like preachy as this one. This is more like a sermon and the rest of them that we do are going to be uh, like, for example, next week, you're going to have an opportunity to ask questions to people who are dating, to people who are married. And you're going to be able to ask questions to them. You're going to be able to, like, lob things out. You don't have to, like, raise your hand and say it right to them. We're, uh, we've got other strategies. Um, but we're going to have that on the horizon. We're going to have breakout sessions on the horizon where you're going to get to go to different breakouts led by leaders that you know and trust who are talking about themes in friendship, dating, and relationships, whether that's ways that they're good or ways that they can be bad. Uh, and you're going to have that opportunity as well. And then we're going to have a cool celebratory worship experience that we end the month with. So there's going to be a lot of different opportunities for you to interact with this topic in different ways, but I think it's super important that we get on the same page to start with, okay? And what I want you to know, as we talk about this, and as I will likely be one of the point people, as we talk about romance, dating, relationships, sex, fill in the blank, okay? Like, yeah, I said it, we're in church, it's fine, okay, you're okay, you're gonna be okay. Like I said, we're gonna be mature, we're gonna talk about some things that are a reality, okay? So here's what I want you to know, though, is that as I talk about romance and dating and relationships and friendships and sex and fill in the blank, here's what I want you to know so clearly, is that I have absolutely, as an individual, zero moral high ground to be standing on on this topic. I have zero moral high ground to look down upon you. I have zero moral high ground to even tell you that I've done it all right. I just, I don't have that kind of moral clout because I, I want you to be, I want to be honest with you because I think that when romance and love and sexuality go bad, we stay very silent about them. And when we stay very silent about them, they become more powerful that way. It's when, it's when no one else knows and it's just us that it's the most powerful when, when it goes bad. So here's what I want you to know is very clearly in my life and in my story, I have seen and I have sought things in romance and dating and sexuality that I should have never seen and I should have never saw. And that is a real part of my story. And I seriously believe and I without a doubt believe that it is a part of many of your stories, if not all of your stories. So I am very happy as well to tell you more about that in person if it's something that you want to talk about because I think that this should be a conversation that we have regularly and one of the biggest reasons why we're doing this is because it's so important, it's so real, it's such a part of your life and of mine, and as the church, we never talk about it. So we're going to talk about it, okay? And because I don't have moral high ground and I haven't done it all right and I've actually failed quite a lot along my journey, 
Um, we're going to look at scripture so that we can kind of look to this as our guide as to what God has intended for us. And we're going to break a couple things down and I think learn a little bit and grow a little bit and be better for it. So uh, this will be up on the screen. You can flip to it. If you brought a Bible, I didn't expect you to, though, so do not worry. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're starting in verse 25, and we're going to go through verse 35. Um, this is what it says, verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed or the engaged, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Uh, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I will spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none, and those who mourn live as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy uh, as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good uh, in order to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. We'll stop there. So I know what you're thinking. You're like, Jackson, you're talking about how we're going to talk about romance and marriage and dating and relationships. And Paul is just like ragging on romance here. Like he's just straight up like, yeah, that's not a good idea. Right? Like, that's a, and he says, he says very clearly, he's like, I'm not saying this because I think that it's what God thinks. He's saying, I'm saying this because it's what I think and it's what I've experienced. And that's an important distinction that Paul almost never makes. Because most of the time, as Paul's writing, he's writing on behalf of God. But this time, he's actually writing on behalf of himself. And he's saying, this is what I, Paul, actually think about romance, about relationships, and about marriage. I think that you would be better off if you didn't do it. And for some of you who are dating or are looking to date, you're like, hmm, that is grim. That is grim. That ain't no fun. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to say, I don't think that what Paul is saying is that uh, the only option in your life is not to date. But the thing that Paul is talking about here is this biblical concept that we don't talk about a lot. And it's a biblical concept called celibacy. I think I have it in big words. Boom, celibacy. Yes, celibacy. Um, so celibacy, uh, I, want, I want you to raise your hand if you think you know the definition of celibacy or the idea of celibacy. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to define it. You can just raise your hand if you're like, oh, I've heard it before and I think I might know what it means. Very few of us. Um, generally, our understanding of celibacy is that celibacy is not being married and not having sex. If you, if you might have like, thought you knew the definition, 
that was probably your understanding of it. Is that fair? Like that might have been as you have heard it. To be celibate is to say, hey, I'm not going to be married. I'm not going to do what married people do. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to be celibate. And generally, our understanding of celibacy is all about what celibacy is about not doing, right? How many other things in life as a, as a thing that you do, do you know first about what it's about not doing before you know about what it's doing? Does that make sense? Hold on. We'll backtrack to that. When you sign up for a club, when you sign up for the outdoors club, their, their pitch isn't, we don't stay indoors, right? Like, that's not the pitch. The pitch is, we go outdoors, and we do these activities, and we have this kind of fun, and, and we don't play video games, might come up later, but, like, it starts with, this is what we do, right? Or you, maybe you're applying for a college or something like that, and the college says, this is what we're committed to. They don't say, we're against this, and we don't like this, and we don't like this, right? Like, that's not the opening pitch or definition of really most anything. Most of the time, you know what it's for before you know what it's against, or you know what it's about before you know what it's not. Does that make sense? So celibacy, though, is kind of weird, because we only really know what it's not. Like, if you had to pick any other idea of what celibacy is, I think you would be hard-pressed to come up with anything that was like, don't be married and don't have sex. Like, I think you'd have a hard time not thinking about things that are don'ts, but things that are do's. And celibacy in the Bible versus how we define it, I looked it up, the, like, definition today, uh, is all about what you don't do. It's don't marry and don't have sex. That's celibacy as we understand it today. But celibacy in the Bible, the Holy Scripture, as it talks about celibacy, the Bible cares way more about what celibacy is for than what it's against. The point of celibacy is not what it's against. Because here's the thing that we twist in church a lot, is that romance and sexuality and marriage, those aren't bad things. Those are not bad things. God has designed them, God wants them, and He is for them. Yet for some reason we kind of like twist them to be like semi-bad things. Or God likes them but he doesn't like them that much. Or whatever it is in our mind. And so then when he starts talking about celibacy, which would be to not do those things, our first assumption is, yeah, that's because those things are evil. That's not why. Celibacy is actually a call towards a different lifestyle. It's a call towards living differently. And it has a lot more to do with what it's for than what it's against. So I wanted to give you just a few thoughts about celibacy, and then we'll look at why Paul is such a proponent for celibacy versus marriage, okay? So uh, can you show me my next slide? Got celibacy has dignity. So here's what I mean when I say that celibacy has dignity, is if you've been around church for very long, then you have seen that celibacy has no dignity in the church, right? Like you might have actually heard in this church or in another church a pastor from stage make a joke about the people who aren't married in the room. Have you heard this before? This happens in church a lot. Uh, where it's like this like funny thing that the pastor does where he's like, oh, I'm married, so you know I can do married things and you can't. And like he makes fun of like the 20-year-olds and the high schoolers and the junior highers in the room. Have you ever seen this before? It's like the thing that we do in church. Because church today, what church does, is church is geared towards the family unit. And the reason why church is geared towards the family unit is because America is geared towards the family unit. Okay? So America is geared towards the family unit. So church is geared towards the family unit. To what Paul is writing to, this church is not geared towards the family unit. 
So celibacy or people who are single or whatever it is, fill in the blank, had a lot bigger of a place within the church than they do today. But today, there is a very, very small space, and I think you've felt this before, whether it's at church or it's with your friends, that you have felt lesser or possibly even made fun of for not having a crush or not being in a relationship. Can you relate to this? That's real, right? So whether it's at church or it's at school or it's with friends, it is seen as, it's perceived as the lesser thing to not be dating. And you've seen this, whether it's in church or at school, but you've seen it. You see that it's been perceived that to not be in a relationship, or when it's a church, it's to not really be married. We even still make fun of dating people at church. Um, that, that, like, that's the lesser thing. It's less valuable. And what it's reinforcing over and over and over again is that marriage is the goal of your life. That the whole point of your life is to be married. And the whole point of your life is to have a family. And that is honestly... Even though that is one of the ways that God has designed things, that is not God's primary intention for his people. It's just not. It's not his, like, it's not his entire game plan for you. It's not his greatest hope for you. It's not his greatest joy set out for you. It's for you to be married or for you to have a family. As much as the world around you tells you it's all about finding the one, or as much as in church we have a propensity, and I'm apologizing to this to you as people who are single and living celibately right now, I, I apologize to you on behalf of the church because you have just as much value and just as much belonging in this place as I do as a married man, okay? You are just as valuable to the church. You have just as much to give and just as much to offer. And here's, here's why I would argue that celibacy doesn't just have dignity alongside marriage, but celibacy actually has more dignity than marriage. Look at this. Look at this next slide. So marriage, the reason why marriage is kind of like given these really high marks is because marriage in so many ways reflects our relationship with Jesus Christ. And you've probably heard this before, that when you're married, uh, you become one with a person. And oftentimes the example of that oneness is you become one with them just the same way that Jesus is one with us. And there's a lot of bride metaphors all throughout, like, end time scripture, especially in Revelation. The church, you and I, were referred to as the bride of Jesus Christ, right? And so this whole idea that, like, we would enter into heaven as a unified body and we would be one with him. One just meaning inseparable, like an inseparable bond and inseparable proximity and closeness and beauty, right? So that's the, like, that's the quote-unquote metaphor of marriage that there is seen so much merit to be in. And what I would argue is it's very true. That's a, that's a reality in marriage. But for example, I am married to Scott, and I am a very, very broken and selfish person. So as I am married to Sky, Sky does not get a super clear picture of what it looks like to be one with Jesus and being one with me because I fail over and over and over again. And Jesus will never fail. And Jesus will never fall short. And Jesus will never cease to fulfill. And Jesus will never cease to be selfless and to protect. And so though the image of our marriage gives some semblance to what marriage is going to look like in heaven between us and Jesus, it doesn't give the greatest picture of what heaven is going to look like. Flip the script, though. In heaven, 
I think you've actually even seen this question asked to Jesus by some Pharisees in the New Testament. You might remember it. You might not. They say, hey, is there going to be marriage in heaven? If so, how does this whole wife and husband situation work out? And Jesus says it doesn't even matter because there's not going to be any marriage in heaven because the unique bond will not be between each other, but it will be between my people and I. Okay? So here's the thing. Every single one of us, I know this is mind-boggling. We're all going to be living celibate in heaven, and we're all going to be loving. And you're like, there's no way. Uh, yes, we are. We're all going to be celibate in heaven, and we're all going to feel fulfilled and satisfied and rejoicing in who Jesus is. And so here's why I would argue that celibacy is, is maybe has more dignity than marriage does as a calling, is that celibacy is actually a picture of the new creation. So marriage is a very foggy, very dim picture of Jesus and our relationship, okay? It's a very dim and foggy picture of our relationship to Jesus. But celibacy, celibacy is a person who is called to it, saying, right now, on earth, even though I'm not yet living in the new creation, which if you've forgotten what the new creation is, it's when God comes back, he takes the earth back over again, he makes it beautiful and like it was in the garden. We're going to be living in this like city, and we're going to create culture and things with God, and it's going to be like this cool city that's all his people, and we're going to be taking care of the earth together, and we're going to be innovating, and it's going to be beautiful and all of that. And in that... We are going to be living celibate because all of our fulfillment, hope, joy, and peace is going to be from Jesus. So for a person to be called to celibacy or to live in celibacy right here and right now before the new creation is to say, I am starting living in the new creation now. That's more powerful. That's more dignified. That's more beautiful. It's not a foggy picture. It's a clear picture. It's a picture that says, starting right here and right now, I am living as though I am in heaven. And for some reason, we treat that like it's so much less. And like it's so lame. And like it's just not even a thought. I would be willing to, to argue or contend that none of you have really ever thought seriously that you might actually grow older and just never marry. I don't think you've ever thought about that seriously because it seems so lame. It seems so lame to so many of us. And it seems so worthless and so pointless and it's like everything is headed towards marriage where the Bible would say, actually celibacy is just as much a call as marriage is and it's actually a very dignified call. So celibacy has dignity. Here's another thing that celibacy has. Celibacy also requires discipline. Okay, to live a celibate life, it does require discipline. I would argue not much more discipline than it is to live a faithful married life, though. I don't think that living a celibate life is so significantly harder than it is to live married because both of them are maintaining a commitment to a calling that's been placed on our lives. So the calling placed on my life from, from March 24th, 2018 on is to be faithful to Sky and to Sky alone, to love her, to serve her, to cherish her, and to never leave her. That's, that's the call of my life. For, for, for us who are living in celibacy right now, like just to be clear, even if you aren't called to lifelong celibacy, you are called to seasonal celibacy right now because you're not married and you're not being called to be married right in this moment. 
So because of that, you, every single student in this room, you are called to be living in seasonable, seasonal celibacy. And so that being said, I, I would contend that it requires just as much discipline as does marriage. And so check this out. In celibacy requiring discipline, uh, here's one thing that I read an author writing about who is living a celibate life. He said that celibacy uh, is not is unlike marriage in the fact that you don't really get to see very tangible benefits that are coming your way in celibacy instantaneously. It's like, whereas in marriage, you get married and all of a sudden you're like playing house with that person, right? Like you are having sleepovers every night, you're building pillow forts, it's a game changer, right? Like, and so you see it right away. But with celibacy, he said that celibacy yields its benefit in a lifetime. So living celibate, you might not see the benefit of celibacy right now to your life. But it is at the end of your life that you see all of the beauty that celibacy has brought to your life. Whether it is seasonal, seasonal celibacy or it's lifelong celibacy. Either one that you're called to, you will see the benefit of it in the scope of your lifetime, not immediately and instantaneously, which is why we so often fail to be celibate or fail to even see any value in celibacy because it feels so hard. But then everybody talks about how difficult that first year of marriage is where you're like learning another person and all of these things. And there is extreme painful difficulty to marriage. It's just you see a lot of benefit right at the beginning, and then you get to the hard stuff. Whereas with celibacy, you get to a lot of hard stuff, and you see the benefit in the scope of your life. So check this out. As students who are called to biblical celibacy right here and right now, this is a fantastic like resource or concept for you. Here's 10 traits to live celibate or celibacy well in your life. To, to live out celibacy well in your life, you need to have work. You need to have something that you're called to, that you are doing on a regular basis. For many of you, this would be school. And this needs to be something that you don't just give part of yourself to, but that you are willing to give all of yourself to. Because just the same as how God has developed and invented and created relationships, he has also developed, invented, and created responsibility. And responsibility in a healthy context is when we give all of ourselves, right? Do as, as, as we're doing unto the Lord, not unto man, right? Like you're familiar with that verse. And so it's the idea of saying, I am going to give my very best to the work set before me. Whether that is sports or that's a school thing or whatever it is, it is giving our best. So A, to live out celibacy well, you need to be giving your best to work. You need to have an introspective prayer life to live celibacy well. Celibacy, like we have said, is hard and it requires discipline. The reason why prayer is so important is because prayer deals with our heart so much. And the things that call us away from celibacy start in our heart, okay? Uh, you need to be deeply rooted in community that knows you. Community that knows you. Not like, hey, I show up to Wild Wednesdays and I sit in a room with 60 people. I'm talking about you need three people in your life who know you so intimately and who you share your life with. Who you share everything with. Who you share the fact that you're struggling with celibacy right now in your life. Or whatever it is. So that they can be walking through that with you. They can be praying with you. And they can be working with you. 
You need to be deeply invested in community. You need to have something service-wise that you can give yourself to outside of your work. Something that doesn't benefit you. Something like helping with KidServe on a Sunday morning. Something that doesn't benefit you whatsoever because there is something about giving to other people that takes our perspective off of ourselves and you will cave in celibacy when all you think about is you. So you need service. You need to be able to take care of yourself. It's this thing that they talk about a ton in college now called self-care. And really, the kind of self-care that I'm talking about is in that prayerful relationship as you're studying your heart, knowing yourself well enough to know when you are in positions to fail and to crumble in your celibacy. Like knowing, hey, when I get really angry, I am far more easily tempted. Or when I don't have things go my way or things are out of my control or I feel rejected or fill in the blank, knowing ourselves to be able to say, this is when I'm susceptible and now I'm going to learn how to take care of myself so that I don't lash out and I don't live that out in a way that is uh, harmful to my celibate call in my life. Uh, you need to be in relational commitment. This kind of dives into community and it's something that we're going to talk about as the last component of celibacy and what celibacy is for. Celibacy is not just for dignity. Celibacy is not just for uh, discipline. Celibacy also includes a direction. And a lot of this direction is, can you go back there really quick? Sorry, I totally played you. Um, relational commitment is a lot of this direction. It is living in a committed relationship with somebody. And we're not, since we're talking about celibacy, we're clearly not talking about marriage. And since you're in seasonable, seasonal celibacy, it might be dating. That might be a, 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 like a relational commitment. But another example of this could be that you are deeply, like, in, in a deep friendship with somebody. In a friendship that you promise not to leave, that you promise not to abandon, that can also just as easily fulfill the relational commitment. So you need to be in a committed relationship with someone that you are not going to leave and they're not going to leave you because it helps you in living on a celibate life. Uh, you also need to have a regular routine, like a weekly routine. You need to have a curiosity about the world around you because it's when we lose our curiosity with the world around us that our curiosity quickly, especially in this age, goes to sexuality. So if we can keep our curiosity with scientific things, if we can keep our curiosity with animals, if we can keep our curiosity with hobbies or with people, and we can be curious about other people, it once again takes the focus off of me and letting my own curiosity and imagination run wild and being curious with the world. Uh, and the last thing, an appreciation of beautiful things, finding ways to still appreciate beauty because just because you're celibate does not mean that you cannot be attracted to something and that you can't be attracted to somebody. So you need to find healthy ways to appreciate beauty as well. So all that said, celibacy requires a high degree of discipline, but marriage does just the same. So if you skip out on being disciplined in this season of your life, you are going to have a harsh awakening when you get married and realize how much discipline that takes, just the same. Uh, so last thing is, celibacy has direction. And this is maybe the, the biggest thing that we miss with celibacy, is generally our understanding of the direction of celibacy is that celibacy uh, is just don't have sex, whatever you do. Right, like, and that's, you don't hear it super clearly, but it is a 
in the undertones of how we work as the church as we talk to you in the season that you're in, in the life stage that you're in, we so often and so clearly, our biggest message to you is whatever you do, don't have sex. And what I want to say so clearly is, yeah, that's a really good thing not to do first. I want to say that's a really good thing not to do before marriage. I, I would affirm that. Uh, I would also say that is not the main focus of Jesus' existence with you. That is not the main focus of his relationship with you. It's just not. Because your purity has never once, in any other issue, come from your actions. Your purity always comes from Jesus. And for some reason, we believe that when it's about our propensity to lie to people. But for some reason, we don't believe that when we go too far or further than we ever thought we were going to, or whatever it is, and we break these walls down that we thought we would never break down, and now we're here. And then all of a sudden, no longer does our purity come from Jesus, but our purity comes from our actions, and we're impure, and we're ashamed, and we're embarrassed. Your purity always comes from Jesus, no matter the circumstance, okay? So, so the big thing is not don't. The big thing is your purity comes from Jesus. And here's the direction of celibacy. Celibacy is not headed towards what you don't do. Celibacy is headed towards this thing that we would call spiritual Friendship. It's a theology that we have so significantly lost in church. Basically, the idea of spiritual friendship is there were like literal monks, like in monasteries, old school church, who would take vows with one another, like you do at a wedding ceremony, and vow to never leave each other as friends. So here's the goal of celibacy, is to be super, super intimate, close friends with someone. With someone. That is the goal of celibacy, and you will honestly never succeed without being in spiritual friendship with someone. And that spiritual friendship could be with somebody of the same gender or the opposite gender of you, but spiritual friendship looks like an intermingling of souls. It's intimate in a different way. It's not intimate sexually as much as it's intimate in getting to know each other. And whoever you date, you should probably consider that person to some degree a spiritual friend, First, that should be the first direction. As you're in seasonal celibacy right now, that is the direction of your dating relationships just the same, is to grow in spiritual friendship. And here's just a couple thoughts on what spiritual friendship looks like on this slide right here. Um, a relationship that will fulfill us is not about being married, but it's about being in a relationship in which we're known and committed. That's the relationship that's fulfilling. And that can happen in marriage. That can also happen just the same in a lifelong celibate friendship uh, with somebody as well. Just the same. And here's the thing with spiritual friendships. The reason why they get discredited and we don't live them out as easily is because they are significantly less valued than familial relationships. Like your family, it is like a command and a demand for you to show up to your family, for your family, to family things. And I'm not advocating that you stop showing up for family things. But just the same, with a spiritual friendship, it is a vow and a commitment to show up as though they were family. And the way that the Bible describes these spiritual friendships is actually like, uh, like spiritual siblinghood. So it's like you're a brother or a sister to this person, and that's kind of the relationship that gets set up. So here's why I think, all in all, those are some thoughts about celibacy. Here's why I think, all in all, Paul has set this up this way and rags on marriage a little bit. 
Is Paul is not against marriage. Paul sees a lot of value in marriage. That's not what he's against, and that's not what he's taking on. I think what Paul is getting at is he's worried about the focus of our life in the church. Because he sees how easy it is for the focus of your life and of my life in church and in spirituality to be to get married. For many of us, that is like the pinnacle thing that we could think of. It's like, I getting married that like tops the cake. Better than graduating high school, better than graduating college, better than a first job. That's like the thing. That's the, that's the apex of my existence. And Paul's whole thing with this church, the reason why he's writing this to us today is because he is so adamant that you are made first for ministry before you're made for marriage. That is the biggest point. You are made first for ministry before you're made for marriage, whether or not you're going to be a pastor or not. You are first made for ministry before marriage. And so here's what Paul is saying and why he's saying it. He's saying, be celibate if that means that you get to do ministry better. And if you're going to marry, marry because it makes your ministry better. Because the goal of our lives as young Christians who know Jesus and who have experienced him is to be loving in ministry to the world around us. That the world around us would see and know Jesus in the way that we live. So Paul is saying, not don't consider marriage, but only consider marriage if it improves your ministry as a couple. And otherwise, celibacy triumphs. So if you want to know how to, how to like rate or scale or understand how your dating relationship is going or, or what a dating relationship might look like with somebody, man, what does your ministry look like? Does, does, your, does your ministry to people, the ability that you have to love people, improve by that person being in your life? Or is it like many teenage dating relationships in which you have cut everyone else in your life out? Because you're dating that person. If you are loving the people around you less because of who you're dating, then you've missed it. Because your life isn't about marriage. Your life is about ministry. Make sense? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us. You got a note card as you walked in. That note card is to help set us up for next week. What you're going to do is you're going to write down on that note card a question that you might have for some fellas who are dating and married. And a question that you might have for some ladies who are dating and married. So what you'll do is on your card, you'll write men, and then you'll write women, and then you'll write a question that you have. If you don't have any questions, that's fine as well. I'm going to pray for us. Then you're dismissed. But please write down your questions if you have them. They can be about anything in dating, in relationships, in marriage, in romance, whatever. Pick a thing. Friendships. Boom. And then on your way out, you're going to put it in Sarah's basket that she's got right by the door. You can fold it up. Okay, let's pray. Write your questions. Boom. Dear God, we love you so much. Uh, we're so thankful for who you are, God. Uh, we lean into your call on our life. Lord, that your call for us uh, is that we would be ministers first and foremost and most primarily. And Lord, in a world that... Uh, so many of our friends are in relationships or obsessing over relationships. Lord, in a world where many of us are looking to be in a relationship or are in a relationship or will sometime soon. Or the world that, that there is media running rampant around us where we can see things that we should never see. Lord, where we can see the obsession with, with being married, with dating, with being intimate with someone being the primary goal of our human existence. Lord, would you confidently 
sit in this room and remind us tonight that you have designed us first and foremost for the ministry that you have set before us in loving people. So, Lord, as we look possibly to date in our life, Lord, also, would you just, like, in the lifespan of some of the students sitting in this room, would you begin, if you are calling them to a, a lifetime of celibacy, would you begin to confirm that in them? Would you begin to remind them of the dignity that's in this and, and the hope that's set before them and the beautiful call that you have extended to them that they get to live being in a new creation now? And Lord, would you help us to encourage and to support them? And for the rest of us who might just be living in seasonable, seasonal celibacy, Lord, we just pray that you would give us such a clear metric. Lord, if our relationships don't improve the way that we love people, if our dating relationships don't improve the way that we love people, then, Lord, we, we are just in it looking for intimacy or for romance or for marriage or fill in the blank, and those things fall flat and they fall short, and they're just never going to fulfill. So, Lord, would you bring clear clarity to our crushes, to our flirting, to our dating relationships, because we trust that you're in them. Lord, would you give us a heart of curiosity as we continue on in this series? Lord, would you give these students great questions, and would you help us to meet them with potent answers? We love you so much. It's in your holy, precious, and mighty name that we pray. Amen. Write your questions down. Put them in the basket on your way out. Make sure that you grab buttons on your way out. They're in the lobby. Grab as many as you would like. They're for you and for friends and all that. See ya.